his heart and the heart of his servants that I might show these my signs before him and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that ye may know how that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else, if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast, and they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. And they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. And he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go, and your little ones. Look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for that ye did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt, for the locusts that they may come up upon the land of Egypt, and eat every herb of the land, even all the hell that hath left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there were no such locusts as they, neither after them shall be such. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened. And they did eat every herb of the land, and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in the coast of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come to you this evening asking you to be our instructor, our teacher tonight. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to study this ancient book, this ancient text, that tells of a time so long ago between this standoff of Moses and Pharaoh 
And may we glean from it some truth for us today as we find that we are still in a standoff between good and evil, a spiritual battle that rages every single day in our lives and how that in some ways we endure similar things. Father, I pray and ask that you would strengthen us tonight and that you would help us to finish strong and that you would give us the strength to never give up, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this text, I thought it would be good to read the entire 20 verses because even though it takes 20 verses to explain this one plague, the eighth plague of the locusts that are coming, it also drives home for you and I the fact that this contest between Moses and Pharaoh has carried on for some time now. We're in the eighth plague and both sides are asking how long. And as we read there, we've seen this song and dance where Moses comes into Pharaoh and says, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And Moses says, we're going to go have a feast to our God. And we want to take all of our people and all of our herds with us. And Pharaoh uh, says, I'll let you go. And then he says, no, on second thought, I'm not going to let all of you go. I'll just let you, I'll just let the men go and the rest have to stay here. And that's a deal breaker. And so Moses goes out and he has to call in the plague. And then it's the song and dance again. Pharaoh calls calls me and I've sinned forgive me of this sin and I will let you go and it concludes by telling us that Pharaoh's heart was hardened even more and as you and I take this in we realize that it has only been a few chapters in which we have seen these eight plagues but this represents weeks of time that has been going on in Moses's life and in Pharaoh's life so much so that in verse 3 Moses asked Pharaoh how long how long will you refuse how long do we have to do this how long will this go on and even after Moses leaves Pharaoh's presence Pharaoh's servants say to Pharaoh how long how long? Don't you know that our nation is destroyed? Don't you know that we are wiped out? Don't you know our cattle are dead? Our crops are dead? Our land has been uh, ravaged? How long? And so that is really the tension, the, the emphasis that is being felt here is that this has been going on for quite a while. But it's not over. You see, we understand that this is just the eighth plague. There are two more to come. And even after the tenth plague, when they are let go, Pharaoh is going to pursue them and try and chase them down. And they're going to have to finish this fight. And so it's, it's still not over. There's still a ways to go. And even though they're asking how long, it's going to have to last a little bit longer. Perhaps you've found yourself in... A situation where you've asked the same thing of God. How long? I would imagine that many Christians have done that throughout 2020 with the coronavirus, the pandemic. How long? Our authorities don't know. The rules have changed. The guidelines have changed. The goal line has been moved. We, we keep wondering how long is this going to last? And sometimes we get into situations in life where it's tough. We're tired of the back and forth. We're tired of not feeling like we're making progress. We're tired of whatever it is that is bringing this pressure into our lives. And we, like Moses, like the people of Israel, like the people of Egypt, are saying, how long? I'm reminded of the fact that even David himself 
prayed this prayer and said these words in Psalm 13. As a matter of fact, the psalm begins that way. David says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily, how long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? And you know, when I read that, I am reminded of the fact that sometimes you and I long for whatever trial, test, or period of life we're in to be over. And we're really wondering, why, why is this still going on, God? What is there in me, uh, in this, for me? Why is this not resolved yet? Uh, no doubt Moses is wondering, why wasn't it resolved plague one, plague two, plague three, plague four, plague five, plague six, plague seven. Now we're at plague eight. How long will this last? Well, God's answer and God's desire for Moses is that he doesn't give up. Don't give up, Moses. Don't quit. Don't give in. Don't back off. There is an end that is coming, but I need you to stay in the fight until the end. Why is this taking so long? Why is God dragging this out? I mean, this is the God of the universe that Moses serves. Look at the miracles he's already performed. Surely he could snap his fingers and it could be over in a moment. But God gives Moses insight and reason as to why. He needs to drag this out and continue with this on. In verse 2, he tells Moses the why. That thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that ye may know how that I am the Lord. There's two parts to that answer. Let me break those down for you. The first part to the answer that God gives in this question of how long is that Moses, so that you might know me better. Well, we would say, doesn't Moses already know the Lord? I mean, Moses was raised up as a Hebrew. Moses has had an encounter with God at Mount Sinai. Moses has had conversations with God. Uh, Moses has received direct revelation from God at the burning bush. Moses has the power of God on his life. And yet God says, there's more for you to know about me. And I would say that with each and every successive plague... Moses learns and gets to know God better. He understands how powerful he truly is, how great he is. You want to see something pretty amazing? Hold your place there in Exodus, and let's take an unplanned detour to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This whole business of knowing God, knowing how that he is God is really central to our salvation. In John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus Christ is having an intimate encounter with his disciples. They have gathered together for the Last Supper. Jesus has washed their feet. He has given them instruction. He is preparing them for his departure. And in chapter 17, Jesus begins to pray in their presence. 
Notice John 17, 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Look at verse 3. And this is life eternal. Whatever comes after that is some of the most important words you will ever read. What is life eternal? What is the essence of eternal life? Jesus says that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You cannot separate eternal life from knowing God. If you know God, you have eternal life. If you have eternal life, you know God. This is life eternal, that they might know thee. One of the reasons why Jesus came in the flesh was not just to be the sacrifice for our sins, but it was also to reveal God to us. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that God spake in times past through prophets of old, but in these last days He's spoken unto us by His Son, who is the express image of His person. We could not get a closer view of God than what we had in Jesus Christ. And so why is this dragging on? Why is this trial lasting? Why is this standoff still going for Moses? Hasn't Moses been faithful? Hasn't Moses been obedient? Hasn't Moses been a worshiper of God? Why is he still going through this that he might know God at an even deeper level? I'm always humbled when I read Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 as I think about the fact that the Apostle Paul writes that letter at least 25 years after he got saved. It's at least 25 years after his encounter on the road to Damascus. He has already penned passages of inspired Scripture. He has already suffered for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has already preached the gospel in many different places. He's already planted church. I mean, he is perhaps one of the greatest Christians in the world. And yet, in Philippians 3.10, he says that I may know him. Well, hold on a minute, Paul. Didn't you meet him back in Acts chapter 9 when you got saved? Who are you, Lord? You're Jesus Christ. Have you not been serving him for the past two and a half decades? Have you not made some of the greatest sacrifices that have ever been made for the cause of Christ? And yet, 25 years into this, your goal is still to know him? Yes, because it is the pursuit of the Christian life. But what hangs me up is what comes after that statement that Paul makes in 310 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We all want that. We want resurrection power on our lives. We want to be able to walk through this world with the anointing of God on our lives that sustains us and strengthens us and helps us, makes us good ministers of Christ, makes us powerful witnesses of Christ, helps us endure the trials. And so we all want the power of the resurrection. But do you know that Paul goes on to say this, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Hey, if I'm going to know Christ, I'm not just going to know Him in His power. I'm going to know Him in His sufferings. And so it begs the question, how can I know Him in His sufferings if I never suffer? How do I truly know Christ and have the fellowship, the partnership of His sufferings if I never go through any hardships? 
If God never allows any sufferings to come into my life, if God never allows any of these trials and these tests and these pressure cooker situations. And so the next time you find yourself in a situation like Moses and you're saying, how long, Lord, is this going to last? Remember, God has a purpose. The why is that you might get to know him better. But I told you it's a two-part answer. The other part that is there in Exodus chapter 10 verse 2 is not just so that Moses knows God, knows how that he is the Lord, but notice what it says in the beginning of the verse, that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt. You see, God is allowing this to be drawn out. Because God is not just working in this present moment of Israel's journey. And he's not just working in this present moment of Moses' life. But God is demonstrating his power in this moment as a testimony to future generations. So that others that come behind them who don't go through that exact situation can have the witness and the testimony of what God has done. And so God is saying to Moses, I'm allowing this to play out. I'm allowing Pharaoh to have his heart hardened. I'm hardening Pharaoh's heart at these times so that I can continue on in these plagues and I can keep you in this situation because I want you to give a testimony to your son and to your son's son and to future generations about what you saw me do. And can I tell you, Moses did exactly that. Fast forward with me, if you would, about 40 years to the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31 comes right before the last couple of chapters in Deuteronomy. It is near the end of Moses' life. Moses already knows that he's not going to enter into the promised land. He knows that he's going to die on this side of Jordan. God has already made apparent to him that Joshua is going to be his successor. And so Moses is going to pass the mantle of leadership from himself to Joshua. He knows the weight of that mantle because he has worn it for 40 years. There have been many times that he wanted to shed it, that he wanted to throw it away, where he wanted to burn it, that he wanted God to kill him because he could not handle the pressure of that leadership position. And so as he he is preparing Joshua to step into that role. He knows that Joshua is going to have his own set of hardships. And do you know what Moses does? He testifies of the faithfulness of God. Notice it in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse number 6. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Hey, how, many, how much mileage do you think Joshua got out of those words? 
Think there were any days when old Joshua sat down tired from all of the pressure of leadership and battle and war and replayed in his mind the testimony of old Moses who had been through the gamut, who had been through the ringer and could say to him, Joshua, God will not fail you. Joshua, God will not forsake you. Joshua, you don't have to be afraid of what you're facing because I'm telling you, God has proved himself faithful. And so when you and I are going through that difficult time in our life and we're feeling that pressure and we are melting underneath it and we're crying out to God, how long, Lord, is this going to last? And we ask that question that always comes to our mind, why is this still going on? The answer may be that because he wants you to give a testimony to somebody else down the road. We cannot discount how important this generational testimony is. God said to Moses, I want you to tell it in your son's ears. I want your sons to hear your testimony of my faithfulness. Not only do I want you to give it mouth to ear to your sons, I want you to tell it to their sons. I I want you to share it with your grandchildren. I want them to hear Grandpa Moses say, Boys, let me tell you about when I had a face-off with Pharaoh. And let me tell you what our God, my God, your God did. I'm telling you, one of the geniuses and one of the dynamics of Christianity is this idea that we pass it on from faith to faith that God engineered it and designed it so that one person witnesses to another person one person testifies to another person and the gospel has traveled that way for over 2,000 years from person to person to person to person, as we have shared our faith. Not only is it God's design for evangelism, it is also God's design for edification. The church is called to be a body of believers. We are called to assemble. We are called to come together. And we are called to edify one another. We are to provoke one another to love and good works. And I believe that one of the ways that we do that is as we share our testimony of what God has done in our lives with other people. I'm telling you this idea of generational gap that we have accepted and we've allowed in and we think, oh, you know what, the young people don't want to hear from me and and the old people aren't interested in what I'm doing and, and we've made this divide between us and I'm telling you, the young people need the older ones and the older ones need the younger ones. We need that sharing of testimony. We need some of the old saints of the faith to sit down with our young people and teach them a Sunday school class or to tell them about a a lesson in faith that they've learned and how they have seen God faithful. Because look, even though they look different, dress different, wear their hair different, listen to different music, they still face the same struggles that you face as a teenager. You know, you forget that. I forgot that. I'm into my 40s now, man. I I, I am just appalled at how old I am getting every day. And for a long time, when my children were little, I had very few thoughts about teenage years. I wasn't in teenage years, and I don't have any teenagers. 
But can I tell you, at this stage in my life, now that I do have teenagers, and I've got some kids that are perhaps getting ready to leave the nest and launching out in life, I'm reminded of all of those things that I felt when I was their age, and I wondered, what is my life going to be like? What am I going to do for a living? Everybody's asking me, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What do I want to do with my life? And I remember my answer was, I don't know. That's a lot of pressure for a kid who doesn't know what they want to do. And I clung to people who would share with me their stories about how they found their way and how they figured out. And so I'm just telling you, God allowed Moses to go through this because he wanted Moses to share a testimony with other people. And he wanted him to pass that on to future generations. And so when we're in it and we're going through it and we're asking how long and we're wondering why, let's just remember that maybe God has you in this because he wants you to give it to somebody else down the road. As we think about it, we understand, we can get that concept. Okay, I get it. I get it. I understand. That, that, that makes sense why God would allow it to go on and that there is some good in it. But it also arises in my heart and my mind to ask the question, how do I keep going when I don't want to? You see, I understand this business about getting to know God better, but, but honestly, the, the price of tuition is too high in the school of God sometimes. Right? If you knew everything was going to cost you to serve God, sometimes you wouldn't be willing to serve, uh, sign up for it. When God called Paul to be a Christian, he told, uh, he, he told him that he was going to show him how much he would suffer for him. And some Christians are called to suffer. And so when we realize that life isn't all rosy and sweet and that there are some hardships, we do wonder, what's going to keep me going like Moses kept going? Well, let me offer you three Three things that will keep you going. Number one, faith in God. Faith in God will keep you going when you feel like giving up. There's no doubt that Moses had faith in God. He had seen God demonstrate his power in his life. He was a man of faith, walked by faith, lived by faith. But I also think about Hebrews chapter 11 and that hall of faith. And it begins with these words. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. That chapter in the Bible that talks about faith tells you and I that even though faith is ethereal, even though that faith is intangible, I can't see it, I can't touch it, yet he says faith is the substance of things that we hope for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Uh, There is a tangibility to faith. Faith is the thing that keeps you going even when you see no fruit in your labor. And then he goes on to tell us about the faith of Abraham who set out looking for a city that he never saw. He tells us about the faith of Abraham's wife Sarah who, who, who was barren until her 90th year and she gives birth to a child. He tells us about the faith of Joseph who was enslaved and imprisoned in Egypt and had no idea what was coming on and yet it was the substance of his faith that kept him going. And I'm telling you and I that when we have faith in God we can cling to that faith and we can trust in that faith and we can know that God will not let us down and so faith will keep you going when you feel like giving up number two the word of God will keep you going 
when you feel like giving up. Now, while these don't come directly from the text in Exodus chapter 10, there is no doubt that Moses had faith, and obviously his faith helped keep him going in those times he wanted to give up. We know that Moses had the word of God. In fact, Moses is the one that God used to author the first five books of the Bible. We're reading about this because God inspired Moses to write it down. So we know that Moses had the word of God. But I want to introduce you to another prophet who was going through a very difficult time, and it was lasting longer than he wanted it to last, and he was very tempted to give up. His name was Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah gets discouraged, and he wants to give up. And he's very transparent here, and he records it for us in Scripture. And these are his words that he cries out to God. He says in Jeremiah 20 verse 7, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Do you get that? Jeremiah says, God, you lied to me. You tricked me. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. God, you overpowered me. You, you used your power against me. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. I don't know that you and I can appreciate the full impact of what Jeremiah is going through here, but Jeremiah was called to be a prophet in a day when nobody wanted to hear what he's saying. Nobody believed what he was saying. They was mocking him, making fun of him, taunting him. If you can imagine that, we've never seen anything like it in our life. He says in verse 8, For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. And then Jeremiah gives this testimony. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. He took a vow to himself. I'm not going to speak for God anymore. I'm not going to testify for God. Nobody wants to hear it. Everybody's mocking and making fun of me. God, you tricked me into this. I'm not doing this anymore. But his word was in my heart. As a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. For I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side. Report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watched for my halting, saying, Peradventure, he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge of him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. Jeremiah says, you know what? When I want it to quit, when I want it to give up, when I want it to get out of this ministry that God had tricked me into getting to, I determined I wasn't going to say another word for him, but the word of God that was already in me was like a burning fire in my bones. I could not... Keep it in. You know, that's one of the reasons why it's such a big deal to read your Bible. To study your Bible, to memorize your Bible. Psalm 119 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
You see, because the Word of God is quick and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is the sword of the Spirit. And when you and I have the Word of God hid in our heart, and we have those times when we get down and we get discouraged and we want to quit, the Holy Spirit of God goes into the file of Scriptures that are already in our mind, and He'll pull one out, and He'll put it on the projector screen in your head for you to see. And all of a sudden, a verse of Scripture will flash in your mind. And you're reminded of how faithful God is. You're reminded of what God has called you to. You're reminded of the love of God. You're reminded of what God has done for you. And it gives you the strength to keep going. The word of God will keep you going when you feel like giving up. Number three, the spirit of God will keep you going when you feel like giving up. The spirit of God will keep you going. One of the great examples of perseverance in Scripture has to be the Apostle John. John was the youngest disciple called to follow Jesus. And he lives to be the oldest disciple of Jesus. It is believed by historians that he would have been called in his teenage years, perhaps his early teenage years, perhaps as early as 13 years old. We don't know exactly but that is the presumption of some. And then he lives to be in his 80s or 90s as the last penman of Scripture. He is the picture of perseverance. Never once do you find John straying from Jesus like you find Peter. He is the one who went with Jesus to the trial. He is the only male disciple who is at the cross when Jesus is crucified. He is the one that Jesus counts on to care for his mother after he dies on the cross. John is faithful to the end. And do you realize that John was faithful even after his brother, perhaps his only brother, was killed by Herod in Acts chapter 12. James is one of the first martyrs of the New Testament church. And James is the brother of John. They were in the fishing business together with their father. They were called in Matthew chapter 4 by Jesus to follow him. They were nicknamed by Jesus Bonerges, the sons of thunder. We find them mentioned every single time in the Bible as James and John. I have no reason but to believe that they were very close. And early on in this endeavor of following Christ and leading the church... John's brother is killed for his faith. But do you realize that John doesn't stop? This would have happened around 42 A.D. And we find John 50 years later in the book of Revelation as the servant of God who's receiving the message of God. And the occasion in which he receives the message, the Bible says in Revelation 1.10, was that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Oh, John had the Holy Ghost. And the good news is John didn't have the monopoly on the Holy Ghost. John had the same Holy Ghost that you have. When you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we got the full dose of the Holy Ghost. You never get more of the Holy Ghost than you got when you got saved. 
Now, the Holy Ghost gets more of you when you yield your life to him. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not to get more of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit to get more of you. And so John had the same spirit that you and I have. And that spirit that you and I oftentimes live as if he doesn't exist is really one of the greatest strengths that we have in persevering through tough times. It is walking in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, relying upon the Spirit, finding the comfort of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God will keep you going when you feel like giving up. Yesterday, I went for a two-mile run. Running is not part of my normal routine. My normal routine is lifting weights. I, I enjoy lifting weights. If you want to talk lifting weights, I'd be happy to talk to you, man. I mean, I'm working on my bench press. I'm trying to get that up. I started doing these cleaning presses. I don't know if you guys remember those things, but you start with the weight on the floor, and you start in a squatted position, and you have to snap it up to your shoulders, and then you press it overhead. I just, I just set a personal record this week. For, I, I did 175 in a cleaning press. That's pretty good for an old guy like me. But yesterday, I went running for two miles. I enjoy lifting weights. I don't enjoy running. These people that tell me they get some kind of runner's high, I question their sanity. I don't, I ain't never got no runner's high. I got deprived of oxygen one time and started seeing things, but I never got runner's high. But running does something for me that weightlifting does not do. It creates an internal struggle between my body and my mind. My body says quit it after about lap two. Two laps in, my lungs are on fire, my side is hurting, my legs are hurting, and my body is saying quit that. You've had enough. There's nobody chasing you. There's no fire. There's no emergency. Just stop it right here. Nobody knows that you meant to run more laps than this. Just stop running after two laps but my mind says keep going keep going two laps is not enough you can do more your body's lying to you your body doesn't want this but you have more in you keep going I need that I need that because it teaches me that I can take more than I want to take I need that because I learn that I can go further than I want to go. I need that struggle internally because it teaches me that I can last longer than I thought that I could. And listen, it helps me to resist the initial thoughts of giving up. When you and I are going through something that is challenging like Moses... And we start saying, how long? I mean, haven't we been at this long enough, Lord? I don't want any more of this. I'm, I'm ready to tap out. I'm ready to back off. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to give in. You and I need that internal force inside of us that says, keep going. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't give up when it gets tough or lasts too long. Just keep going that's what I want to say to you tonight whatever it is you're going through whatever it is you're going to go through 
Listen, there's no promise that the world's going to get better. And I'm not a doom and gloomer. I, I'm not a prophet of doom. Uh, I, 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 I really am optimistic. But I know that this world has a lot of thorns along the path. And that you and I are going to run into some of those this year. And there's going to be a temptation for us just to say, man, that's it. I give up. I'm out. But resist that initial urge. And remember, God has a purpose and a plan in this for you. And through this high-pressure situation, you will get to know him better. And you will be able to have a testimony that will help others. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the things that you have placed into our life that, that do create adversity so that we can be conditioned to it. Every one of us has a tendency to want to quit at the first wince of pain, at the first signs of fatigue, at the first feelings of exhaustion. But the fact is you built us and designed us and strengthened us to take much more than we think that we can. Lord, I pray that we as Christians would never give up. No matter what we face in this world, no matter what we face in opposition, no matter what comes down the line, no matter how many people give up or quit on church, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to the end. I pray that we would never give up. I pray that we would grow deeper in our knowledge of you, and I pray that we would be able to share a testimony with our children and our grandchildren and with others of your faithfulness to us. Help us cling to those things that you've given us that will help us to keep on keeping on. Lord, help us to hold tight to our faith. Help us, Lord, to cling to your word. Help us to rely upon your Holy Spirit so that we can keep going for you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.